Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a motivational speaker helping people to live positively with the challenges of life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 45 years now. And in that time, I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, which makes me sound like a spider. And uh, I've also been hospitalized about 40 times. I stand about five foot one, uh, hence the nickname Too Tall, and that's due to the heavy daily doses of the steroid prednisone that I had to take to fight my arthritis. Despite those physical challenges, everyone who knows me knows I always answer amazing when asked how I'm doing. I tell people that 80% of the time it's true, and the other 20% of the time it's to remind myself that it's true. You can find out more about me at my website. It's Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. Today, I'm delighted to be interviewing best-selling author and event promoter, Tony Robleski, president of Mind Capture Group. Tony put on an amazing event last year, Think and Grow Rich Summit. He sneaked me onto the stage there, which was very nice of him. And so today we'll be discussing Tony's Mind Capture teaching, and at the end of our time, a special event that you'll be hosting this September, and I'm certain it'll be interest to our global audience, and I know it's of interest to me. So welcome to the show today, Tony. Well, thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure. My uh, good Canadian friend up near Toronto and, uh, yeah, we've been talking about it the last few weeks, and here we are on this interview. So I'm looking forward to sharing some great ideas and strategies to help your audience and uh, your fans worldwide. Now, Tony, one thing, uh, ever since I've met you and I heard of your company name, I've been jealous. I've been like, wow, he really captured that. So explain to the rest of the world or my audience what you mean by mind capture and why it's so important to understand, because this is what we're after, is the mind and the thoughts, right? Well, I think it's a good opening question, and here's the definition. Uh, For almost a decade now, I've defined it as simply this. Tom, how do we get anyone to pay attention to us in a time-starved world with way too many choices and demands placed on our time? So my whole thing is if you can't capture the mind or get attention quickly, if you have the best product, service, uh, idea, strategy you're trying to sell to your boss, an event, a fundraiser. If you can't get people to engage quickly or capture them, you're at a huge, huge setback. So my teaching in the last decade, you know, coming up on book number four, I know we'll hit on that later, is then really about how do you continue uh, to sustain that and then keep it. It's not easy. And if you look at uh, what's happened the last seven or eight years with social media, Tom, uh, we, we were talking about this before the interview, when you try to reach people, you sometimes have got to send an email, then you've got to leave them a voicemail, then you've got to touch them on Facebook, and sometimes they want you to text them. So we now have got all this complexity or modalities of communication channels, especially with social media, with Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on. So to me, I was maybe a little bit ahead of myself to think, boy, it's a challenge, but it's not gotten any easier the last 10 years since we first started to talk about this. It sure hasn't, and so we, it's been estimated, uh, I've read that we have 30 to 60,000 thoughts a day, and now we have about 10 gazillion things with all the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's, the Twitters, and every possible social thing that your mind can think of, you can look up and find. 
And well, Tom, so, you nailed it. What's, what I want to add in there, uh, you're exactly right. Different studies have said anywhere from 30 to 60 on the high end of self-talk conversations or thoughts. And then, you know, the research I've been getting from other experts in my, my field is it's five to 7,000 marketing messages now per day Ooh. in North America alone that are being bombarding us each day on top of all our self-talk. So imagine a jam-packed freeway with 65 to 70,000 lanes of traffic or, and someone's trying to find your car from the air. How are they going to find the car? <laughs> so you've got to have this, this bright yellow Volkswagen or this bright yellow Honda, and it's got to stick out from 10,000 feet, or they go, oh, there it is. So I know that's a strange visual picture to paint. However, um, it's tough, and there are some effective ways you can capture the mind of people. Nice. Now, this brings me to uh, marketing today is probably tougher than it's ever been because of the bombardment of messages and the thirty to 60,000 thoughts we always had. What do you think is the biggest challenge in, in marketing today? Well, it kind of ties into my whole premise about getting attention or mind capture, but if I were to hone in on one specific thing, it would be this. It's how do you not be boring? And the number one sin in marketing that my central mentor taught me, Dan Kennedy, um, you know, arguably, look him up. If you don't know who he is, one of the best direct marketers probably walking the face of the earth, said to me as a young pup in my 20s, you know, the number one sin in marketing is to be boring. And I've, as I've gotten more out now the last 20 years as a professional in sales and marketing and, you know, owning different companies and, and my own, is that most businesses or industries pigeonholed by what they call industry norms. So let's say, for example, you have a car dealership. Great industry, everyone needs cars. However, Tom, you and I are probably going to chuckle about this. Most of the advertising in, in car dealership land is the same as their competitors. I understand some industry norms. Once in a while, someone in your space or the automotive sector does things very different. And here's usually the secret sort of sauce to being really different. They have fun with their marketing, in particular their current customers. And I've always said, and we met him last year, that Jeffrey Gittimer, Tom, says if you get people laughing, you get them buying. Mm. And Jeffrey, again, is one of the top sales minds in the world. We were very fortunate. You shared the stage with him last year at my event, as did I. But, you know, the guy sold millions of books, one of the most cutting-edge sales trainers out there for the last 25 years. And I agree with him. And essentially, so many businesses are afraid to stand out. They don't want to, unquote, unquote, offend someone. And they think that, well, you know, we don't want to be too over the top. We just want to kind of, you know, blend in and play it safe. I'm thinking, why don't you write all the checks you write to the advertising companies and just burn them before you hand them to them? Hmm. Because no one's going to see it. No one's going to care. And you're just like everybody else in that market space. However, a few companies get it. Let me give you one specific company that does it really short here to, to really keep moving here for our audience, Southwest Airlines. And particularly in the U.S., um, they're known to be, number one, profitable. But secondly, what they're really known for, you ask audiences, and I do this all the time around the world, what do you think about Southwest? And almost every person will blurt out that's flown them. They're fun. They're happy. And I'm thinking, yeah, what a novel idea in the airline space, Tom. Happy <laughs> flight attendants, happy captains. What a novel thought. But the results don't lie. They hire very few people, they're very picky, they get thousands of applications for several hundred jobs, and they hire for attitude, and they train for skills. Now, not mm. for the pilot position, I hope. <laughs> 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 but 
but you know, most <laughs> well, you want him pretty yeah. positive that he's going to yeah, be able to fly that plane. I don't. Can someone come up and land the plane? Um, <laughs> but you know, on a, on a serious point, um, they get that the right attitude in there, and people have fun, and it's memorable, and people they they know, hey, what to expect with Southwest is going to be a lot different, and it's going to be entertaining and memorable. So nice. that's a great example. And again, um, you know, with that challenge is what will you do? This is homework for anyone listening or if you're in your car or you're listening to this in the weight room or you're on the treadmill, is what are you doing differently if I asked you in your marketing, if I looked at your marketing online or offline or face-to-face to make me think you're a little bit different? I love it. And right on, uh, being social media manager at Oakville Honda, uh, our general manager just keeps telling me over and over how much money is wasted with his advertising and I keep wanting to tell them it's because you look like the next advertising and the one before it and the one after it. And yep. it's not funny, it's not different, it's not controversial, it's not anything different. And so, yeah, you really have to do that. But also as part of that, uh, probably reason why you're such a big believer in follow-up. Uh, you're well known for that. Why is that so important? Well, um, I'll give a quick disclaimer to what you said, and then I'll explain my answer. Um, I've had several meeting planners say to me on the stage when they're introducing me, you know, this guy's going to talk about, you know, marketing, mind capture, referrals, and repeat, and how to follow up better with customers. And let me tell you about Tony. We referred to him a few years ago, and boy, he has followed up many, many times with us. And, and I'll, I'll come out, and, and what, what they're trying to telegraph to the audience is, look, this guy eats his own cooking. He teaches and he preaches the same boat of what he actually does. Now, I'm not perfect, Tom, but I win a lot of business because if the buyer's not ready or if they're not ready to engage me to maybe come in and do a talk or have me do consulting work for them, uh, I know if I circle back, situations change, budgets change, um, you know, needs of the event change from year to year, and I might be a better fit in some years than others. If you just keep showing up consistently, not once a year or not when you know the RFP or when they're looking for the speakers is going to happen, but if you drip in front of them, you use a direct mail, you do voicemail, you do email, you do articles of interest to them, you get them on your Facebook page, you like some things on their Facebook page, you build more of a, a follow-up pattern online and offline. They start to know you, and then all of a sudden they go, hey, you know, we're just thinking about you. We saw one of your Facebook posts or we saw one of your articles or, hey, we got your latest newsletter in the mail. Or, hey, thanks for the voicemail a month ago about your new book. Something of interest that lets them know that you're relevant and that you're thinking of them. It doesn't mean they're going to call you right away every time, but you have to kind of show up. And when that thing is to happen, uh, when you're showing up, a lot of positive things can happen from that. I so, you know, the adage is it used to be 20, 30 years ago in marketing circles, you had to make, you know, 5 to 12 impressions or touches on a prospect with marketing before they even recognize it. I've got to think now that's easily doubled to probably 15 to 30 touches because people are just so overwhelmed, you know, with the data coming at us. And then we have a busier instant access society where everyone's got cell phones at their hip, computer or a tablet in front of them. they got people talking to them. Uh, they're trying to do seven things at once instead of four things at once. <laughs> so you, the, the conversation of, of the mind, as John Cables, the late great copywriter, would say, has gotten so much more complex. And uh, I'll reveal something that's hugely successful that's brand new the last couple of years I've noticed, if you want me to share it. Are you ready? Please. Okay. I got my pen handy. I call this 
my my three-step 24-hour plan. And it sounds like some self-help, you know, for AA, but it's not, or, you know, some type of intervention. Let me explain. Three-step and 24-hour plan is this. I did this today with several people I was calling on. I will leave a voicemail for someone. And in the voicemail, say, you know, here's some times I'm available. I'll also indicate, hey, Sally, I'm also going to send you an email to remind you in case you don't have it. And I'll, I'll put an attachment that I called you. And then I Facebooked them later in the day. That's three touches with three different modalities. I hit them with their phone. I touched them with an email right as I hung the phone up so I didn't forget. And later in the day, I sent a Facebook message to them. Now, it's not to stalk them. Let me give some disclaimers. Not to make them mad at me. But I have found that some people go, oh, yeah, you know, I, they get right back to my Facebook. Sorry I was on a call. Uh, I, I, I didn't see your email yet, but I got your message, and we'll talk tomorrow. doesn't mean they're always going to get back to me, but that separates me, and I'm almost afraid to reveal that because most salespeople, you know, think, well, I, you know, I, I left a voicemail, and I sent an email a week later. Whoop-dee-dee. <laughs> There's too much information coming at us. So I like to literally circle them and hit them three ways within a matter of a day. And usually one or two, they'll get their attention. They'll at least get back and say, hey, I got it. We've been busy or something. At least I know where we're at in the process or when they want me to get back to them. That's a huge, huge technique that I use a lot. I love it. I love it. Brings to mind a story. I remember uh, the guys from uh, who invented static contraction, and Tony Robbins featured them in one of his programs. And these guys were talking about when Tony Robbins tried to contact them. He phoned, he faxed, he emailed. He did like five things at one time. The guy said that our office just lit up. Everything that had a line or a <laughs> website or an email, everything just went crazy. And uh, he was determined to get hold of them. And it's like, wow, <laughs> he couldn't turn anywhere without knowing that Tony Robbins was trying to reach him. So, yeah, a three-step process because, yeah, uh, first of all, voicemail, a lot of people, myself included, don't check it regularly, rarely respond to it, I'll rarely answer my inbound phone call unless it's by appointment. And so if you're just an old-fashioned fart who said, oh, I left a voicemail, good luck. Uh, at least with both mm-hmm. me and my wife, you're not going to hear back from us for a week or so. If you want to get to us, you text us or you Facebook us or something. But phone is not the way. So if you just well, Tom, leave it another at that, thing I'll share with you. I'll share with the audience is this: is ask someone that you're working with, either referral or a new client, or even a key prospect that gives you permission. Say, what are your top two ways you prefer that I communicate with you? Do you prefer that I email you, or call you, mm-hmm. or send you Facebook? Give me your number one way you want me to communicate that you, you know, is the most responsive, and what is your second thing you check the most? And you note that because now you, you're speaking to not only the speed, but their preference of communication. And, and that's another one I do a lot. Cause I'm like, okay, this, this CEO I know will look at a text. doesn't mean he'll look at an email right away, but he'll get right back to me usually within a few hours on a text. Some people are like, hey, I'm in meetings, drop me an email. That's their yeah. preferred way still, and the text gets lost. Right. Um, so it's just asking a simple question. What is, what is the number one and number two one way, two ways you want me to communicate with you? What is your preference? And then write it down or note it. Nice. Nice. Hey, I'm making notes here. Wow. You're teaching me stuff. <laughs> well, hey, it's, it's, you know, I, I love, I'm learning constantly. Uh, and, and, again, I don't know it all, but I know some of this stuff seems so simple, but so simple not to do because everyone's so fragmented unless they control how they follow up. Nice. So, uh, which brings me to another question that I love. Uh, 
because I'm a salesperson at heart, and you work with a lot of salespeople, a lot. Who are the best salespeople in the world, and what separates them? Why, why are they the best? My answer is simple, and if there were a live audience, I'd do this question. And people, customers, clients, referral partners, my family members, my minister, I get all sorts of answers, and I say, nope, you're all wrong. Children. Children are the best I have ever seen. Now, full disclosure, I have three of them. They're a little bit older now. They'll be 17, 15, and 12 this year. However, a few years ago when they were a little bit younger and a little bit bolder, I want everyone to take, listen carefully to what I'm saying, a little bit younger and a little bit bolder, I've seen them many times when I would take them shopping, three-on-one, dad takes the kids out, where they would literally whip me in a store. I don't mean physically, but they would whip me when they wanted to buy something. And I always noticed how they would persist onward in the checkout lane, Tom. And many people are, are shaking their head going, oh, yeah, he's been in my world. Or if you're a grandmother or grandfather, you've seen parents fight in the checkout lanes with their kids. What kids leave are three really big clues as to why there's such effective, I would say, butt-kicking salespeople that whip adults. Yes, I said that. They're butt-kicking and effective salespeople that whip adults. Here are the big three. Number one, they have no fear, Tom. They don't understand the paradigm or the word no. Matter of fact, when you tell them no, they're like, ding, ding, Rocky, the movie, round one, boxing match, game on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they'll go on and on with you, and they'll try, you know, I'll clean my room, or I'll do better in school, or I'll read for half an hour. They'll try every technique under the book to get their way, and you have to tell them no repeatedly. They just aren't going to hear. And eventually, like, you, you break down, and they, they, could, they, could, they almost Chinese water torture you. We say, all right, I, I figured it out. They wanted three pieces of candy on checkout. Now they're going to get one. However, they said they do this and that. Tom, they already knew when they walked in the store, they were leaving with the candy. You just mm-hmm. didn't know it. <laughs> and they have what's the old classic downsell position where they had options. Like, well, if I can't get three, maybe he'll let me have two. Well, well he, oh, my gosh, Mom let me have two last time. If Dad's being a sticker, well, at least i got to walk out here with one piece. They don't understand it. The aha for adults is this. We quit too soon. We take no's personally. If you haven't been writing, I encourage you to write these things down right now. Um, I want people to figure this out. Man up or woman up if you hear the word no and not take it personally. This is Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements Teaching. I'm borrowing right out of his book, okay? Full disclosure. It's simple and effective because in sales, we're going to hear a lot of no's. People deliberately lie to us, not because they're mean. They don't want a heavy sales pitch or they're worried that we might rip them off until they get to know us. So we have got to be able to say, you know what, I'm used to hearing no's or that, you know, someone walks into a car dealership and they say, ah, I'm not interested, and you look outside the window, and they've got a beat-up old 85 GMC truck that looks like it's going to die in the parking lot, you know they're lying to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're pointing out saying, well, I don't need a vehicle. I'm just looking around, but they're driving a piece of junk that's almost dead. They're a highly qualified prospect. They just don't know if they can trust you enough yet. Exactly. The timid salesperson, as the late great Zig Ziglar, excuse me, Zig Ziglar would say to us, the timid salesperson has very skinny children. <laughs> Think about what Zig's trying to telegraph. So we've got. And to you're so prospects. right about prejudging prospects because uh, when I've bought cars with my wife, we go through a strategy beforehand where you act yep. like this, and I'm going to act like this, and I'm going to say this, and then we're going to pretend we're not interested at all. 
And really, that's because we haven't really got to know the person. We don't know who yep. we're going to come up and again. And you don't want a heavy-handed sales pitch. You want to feel like, okay, are you going to listen to me? Then maybe I'll bring my guard down a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And children just masterfully press on. They're persistent because they're fearless. The second thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap these other two points up real quick in respect to time, is children ask great questions. I call these mind benders. And I, I often tell the story live in my keynote about my son, Braden, who's going to be 12 this year, where, you know, we were watching a ball game a couple of years ago, a baseball game, and, uh, you know, he asked me a question about a pharmaceutical product, uh, and I'll tell our audience, he, he said, Dad, what's, he watched the commercial on TV, he goes, what's this thing called Viragra? <laughs> I looked across at him, again, this is a shortened version, and I said, well, wh- what do you think it means, Braden? Because I was shocked, Tom. <laughs> I think it's that stuff that gets you all excited, Dad, or something that gets you all fired up. I said, sounds like a good answer. Now go grab me some potato chips. And he walked away all innocent, had no idea. But here's the deal. Children bring fresh eyes to the table. A lot of salespeople that are mediocre or struggling, and again, not judging them as they're having challenges, here's what they do. They fall into these old habits. They don't look at the prospect and come up with better questions to try to get more information to help them and serve them. They have the same old tried-and-true questions that are kind of you know, half-baked. They're not effective. Um, or they, don't, they get the same objection over and over again from the prospect, and they don't have a plan to ask a question to diffuse that common sort of white lie, mm-hmm. to bring the person to say, All right, yeah, you know, actually, we, we are kind of looking around. We're not, we don't know if we're getting tonight. But since you asked this question, here's what we're thinking. And now you've got a conversation, not an adversarial defensive position from you, the salesperson, the prospect. Mm-hmm. So they're very good at questions. Third thing children do to whip adults is simply this. They're very creative and they negotiate everything. A lot of people in Western society, particularly North America, are sort of trained not to speak up, not to question, not to ask, especially as adults. We kind of go in and say, well, you know, I can't get a discount on that. Let me give you a true story from a speaker I heard. This would have been now seven years ago. It was at a Dan Kennedy Super Conference. His name is George Ross. George Ross is Donald Trump's legal guy who negotiates a lot of Trump's real estate deals, probably in his late 60s, early 70s now. He spoke at the conference, and I got to meet him. It was awesome. He said, look, let me give you one little sales trick or technique for negotiating that will, will save you a lot of money if you believe me because it, it's so simple. He said, I've gone into Macy's in New York City, and I've done this, where you, know, you figure Macy's, you're not going to negotiate high-end you know, retail store, anything of as far as a discount. It's almost insulting. He said, I went to buy something for my wife, and I went in there, and I said, okay, give me the price. He goes, I sat there and I asked this question. Is that, is that the best you can do? He said, I, I sat there totally quiet. And the clerk kind of sat there for a few seconds, seemed like you know, three minutes. And she goes, well, you know, we can actually probably give an extra 10% off. And he goes, Okay. You know, think of what he just did. He had the guts to ask. He waited. And he said, simply, is that the best you can do? And he's kind of sat there. And he goes, you'd be amazed how many times you ask that simple question. And, Tom, if, if this is another home run for your audience. Try this. Experiment with it. It won't work every time, but you might be shocked to me. He said, well, you know, we do have a special going on next week. Maybe I can give you another 5% off or 10% off. And, and I was floored that a guy that works with Donald Trump, the Trump, organization negotiates with a simple line like that so think about kids they aren't going to quit they ask a lot of questions 
They're going to get very creative to get what they want, and they will continue to try to negotiate something to get what they want at the end of the transaction. So there's my, my little sales 101 uh, of why children are the best salespeople in the world. Nice, nice. I love it. Um, and so uh, what in this day and age is the simplest way for a salesperson or a business to attract new business that they overlook, most people will overlook? To me, hands down, asking for referrals. And I know it's, it's taught to us as young salespeople and a lot of organizations still subscribe to this, what I call you got a cold call mentality. And um, this is just my strong opinion. It's not saying it's absolute law. But I've looked at sales managers and VPs of sales in live seminars with their whole sales team in the audience and said, why? And it's not because I want the sales manager or the VP of sales mad at me, but I'm trying to argue the point that, okay, I understand you have to prospect. You have to have activity. You have to reach a certain number of people. But why not go back to your biggest sales force that you normally don't see, your customer base, and go on and directly ask, A-S-K, ask them, here's a different switch. Instead of for referrals, introductions. It's a one-word language shift, but a world of difference. It's, it's a unique way of asking for the same thing, but it's less threatening. Language, tonality, and intent are very, very important in the sales process. A lot of salespeople never ask for referrals, a.k.a. introductions. They wing it, or they do a real half-hearted attempt after the deal's over. They mail a thank you card with like three business cards. They go, hey, if you can think of somebody, let them know. The prospect is not as busy, and when they get a thank you card, that might not be the right time for them to be thinking of people for you. So what I teach a lot live, and I'm, I'm going to give a quick plug here if it's okay. Um, you know, at this year's event, we're hosting event time, which we're going to talk about later. I'm so excited. You're going to be speaking again, my friend. <laughs> um, but it's the Ultimate Mastermind Summit, okay? I'm going to do a very in-depth session on referral marketing. Okay, at this event in September. I'm giving a little bit of a preview tonight, but many people last year, Tom, you were in California, said, Tony, why didn't you teach, get on the stage and teach mind capture stuff? All right, this year I'm going to. And this is a central thing I'm going to teach in depth is referral strategy because it's the most overlooked way to do it. Okay, so Tom, shameless plug, if your audience is interested right now, you go to ultimatemastermindsummit.com and check out information, okay? So if you want to pull it up right now, if you're in front of your computer or your tablet, but keep listening to us, okay? Yes. Uh, so there's a little quick teaser there about the event. But back on point about referrals. So many people have no clue that their best customers can take them to a fortune. Here's why. It's called the Rule of 250. It was actually invented by Joe Girard, the mm. Guinness Book of World Records top automotive salesperson of Detroit, Michigan, back in the, like the 60s and 70s in his heyday. He was selling hundreds of cars per year and was just knocking on the park. And he called what in, and actually coined the term the Rule 250. It's simply this. Your average person knows 250 people. Now, this is long before Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and fan pages and all that, and email lists. But if you specifically ask the person, when they're their happiest or when they make a purchase, write that in there, hey, who are a couple people you could introduce me to that I could do the same thing for? Uh, many times they'll think, well, you know, it's funny you should ask, Tony. I've got a cousin that's been looking for a car. Or if you're selling, for example, you know, automotive uh, repair services, you ask someone when they're getting their bill and they do the inspection and they're happy about you fixing their car or their engine, hey, who are a couple people you work with 
that might be interested in, in getting you know an oil change with us, uh, here's a couple coupons or maybe checking us out the first time. So you're directly asking, you're doing a reach out for introductions versus waiting. Mm-hmm. And I know, Tom, some of my peers disagree with this. I don't care, and here's why. It works. It works. Not every time. Every time you ask for an introduction, doesn't mean they're going to line up and say, hey, Tom, here's four people to call. But you don't get unless you ask. This is also a little bit from an ancient phenomenal book called the Bible, Ask and Ye Shall Receive. So in the age of great complexity and overload, the simplest things, we go back to the last few minutes about from the mouths of babes and children, we as busy adults that know it all can learn a whole lot by simplifying the process down and using it all the time. Nice. I rest my case. I love it. Just those two things. Is that the best you can do? I live in a car dealership a lot of the time, and a lot of salespeople are not strong enough to reject that question. And you mm-hmm. just, is that the best you can do? And just sit there, and within about three and a half seconds, you're going to find out that they can do something better. And it's not a real Or, you know, in your position, question. Tom, if you've got an automotive professional that's fielding the question, say, well, what did you have in mind? What were you really <laughs> there you go. Throw it back now, at now them. What you've just got them to do is say, well, you know, Tom, we weren't really looking at this car. We wanted that one, but it's a little bit maybe out of a range. Well, what range did you have in mind? And now you're doing more of a probing uh, sort of, you know, doctor-patient relationship where you're really trying to find out what they really want, and, and you smoke out the hidden objection. This is not adversarial. This is not a game of us versus them. It's trying to bridge some harmony to really cut to the core what they want to do, but you don't know until you ask questions. You can't assume anything. Right. And in the mechanic example, uh, who listening doesn't want a referral to an honest, straightforward, kind, funny, different, genuine, authentic car mechanic? Uh, we referred one to my mother-in-law and because she had a quote at one place for 500 bucks, and this honest, nice one that my wife and I used did it for under 100 So why would you leave those customers in the dust by not asking someone, do you know anyone in your family or friends that needs a nice, honest mechanic? Even if they say no, they're not going to be like, I'm not doing business with you again because you asked me that crazy question. It's just yep. a natural question. And so amazing, yeah, just ask the question because no question. People aren't going to hit you or not do business with you because you asked them if they had any friends or family that are in the same position as them. True point. Now, uh, I'm getting older. I'm 50, and our friend Brad... Pronounce his last name for me, because I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, Brad Zalas out of New York City, the uh, liquid leadership generational guru of uh, nice. managing and marketing to you know the different generations in the workforce. Right. And him and I today were having a Facebook discussion about both of us having a significantly high BS meter and a low tolerance for the BS meter. Uh what do you think we mean by the BS meter, and what do you mean? Because I know you talk about the BS meter as well. 
Well, I think it's, uh, it, it, that term itself is self-explanatory, but I want to peel back a little bit deeper why I think it's relevant for our audience. Regardless of what service, product, for-profit, non-profit, you work for someone, you work as, as on your own, or you're, as my friend Jim Palmer would say, a entrepreneur, you want to start your own thing. We all have this radar in our mind where if it looks like a heavy-handed sales pitch, it, you hear me in the phone kind of making like I'm sniffling or smelling. If it smells too good to be true or doesn't sound right in our gut intuitively, we immediately start to shut out the message. It could be a radio ad. It could be an Internet message. It could be a phone call from someone, a face-to-face appearance, a Skype call. But if we sense we're getting heavily sold, we immediately put up the walls or the, the, the meter goes up to high. All great salespeople. And again, I want you to note this. We're all in sales today. I don't care, again, what title you have on your card or what you think you do. You are first and foremost, my friend, trying to sell your ideas, products, or services in a crowded marketplace. I have ministers, CPAs, attorneys, doctors. In my audiences, lots of broad types of business groups. And they'll all come up to me sheepishly and say, well, I didn't think I was in sales, but I am now. So your mission is to try to build not only once you got the attention, but to continue to win their time, but third, provide maximum credibility right away as to why they should pay attention. Some of the best ways to instantly bring a BS meter down is to name drop if it's a referral. The person that said you should call them or if you email them, why you're emailing me because Sally Smith said I should reach out. Now you've got the meter down somewhat. They know that person. Okay, you're not a cold-calling stranger from far, far away. Then what you want to do right away is have a question that engages them to have them think, okay, this is different, and then make sure you've got a success story or two ready to go where they think, okay, this is someone that, okay, I may know, or if it's an industry peer like a car dealership, testimonial would be great when you're talking to a car dealership owner because that's one of their peers. So there are several ways I write about in all my books. I teach this all over the world to establish maximum credibility very, very quickly. So at least you have a fighting chance where they might sit and actually pay attention to you halfway initially. And if you're really good and they keep giving you time, they lower the resistance way down where they might say, okay, here's some things that we really need help with. Mm. Nice. And once they get to that point, then that's where the prospect starts. But until they can trust you, they know you're not just there for the dollar signs and the sale, uh, that's when... Uh, real sales start. And that's where friendships start. That's uh, mm-hmm. what you really want to do is build a friend. I read something about, uh, reading something about sales, and they said the term closing a sale is horrible. You actually want to open a sale. You want to open mm-hmm. a friendship. You want to open a relationship. And so this is what you're talking about. Uh, don't start off sell, 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 sell in their face. Uh, develop the friendship, the authenticity, the referral, and then find out what their need is. I love it. Now, I know this is important for you, and you know it's important for me, but let just explain to our audience why is lifelong learning so important for people to not only understand, you and I can explain it so people understand it, but uh, explain it so that they don't just understand it. They get off their butt, grab a book, a tape, a CD, a video, and do something to find their purpose and apply it in their life. Well, I go back to immediately a quote that comes to mind from Benjamin Franklin, one of the, the U.S. founding fathers, you know, 1776. You know, he started the country with many other brave people, and he said, 
invest in your mind for it's the one thing no one can take away from you. I don't know really what Ben Franklin, if you took him in a time machine, you know, he passed away, I think, in the early 1800s. If you brought him to today, he would probably faint after about a half an hour walking through a major metro city with all the traffic, the information, the noise, the input, the stimulation, visually, auditory. Frank would probably keel over. Um, what I think is so important for everyone to, get in, you know, to really understand now, <clears throat> strong opinion, defend your mind like Franklin would say, because if you don't, you can drift. There's way too much input coming at us. And you have to deliberately make it, I believe, a daily strategy to work on yourself in, in at least an hour. A lot of my mentors and teachers spend a couple hours per day. But again, small baby steps, one at a time. Because with all that information coming at you, most of it is negative. It's fear-based. It's about sensationalism, not actual old news. It's about you know celebrity stuff and gossip mixed in occasionally with a local news story of interest. But people, I think, are starting to wake up and get control back. And again, if you're educated in the traditional you know, school structure or university system, congratulations. Now the game is really just starting. Uh, I've spoken to high-level groups you know, up near you know, the east coast of the U.S., you know, like in Yale University, the Ivy League schools. I've had MDs and PhDs in the audience, Tom, and I'll tell them, look, the customer doesn't care if you went to Yale or Harvard or to Brown or, you know, Dartmouth or some high-level school. They want to know what can you do for me right away, and are you relevant or are you a relic? Let me repeat that. Are you relevant today or are you a relic? And it's not to be mean. We just have too many choices. You can click on attorney in any major market, and you can find a 1,000 of them. How are you going to stand out? Mm-hmm. And the prospect is saying, okay, you know, I don't know how to discern this. So I challenge every audience, okay, and this is also the industry that I love and I'm grateful to be a part of, the personal development industry, is that we've got to turn the tide, you know, by letting people know there are other ways to learn about success, about how do you retrain your mind, how do you keep a positive mental attitude, as the late great Napoleon Hill would say, a PMA, how do you do it in a world loaded with negativity and distraction? It has Mm. to be a deliberate habit for structure, that you put in place. Tom, you get it. A lot of people listening get it. But I'm worried about, I'm not worried, I'm more concerned about reaching out amongst reminding those that do it already in this call that they reach out as well and and what I would say spread the good news about books that changed their life. Maybe it's a TED Talk they went. And I'm going to be very candid. What events are you going to? You know, in the age of the Internet, people are like, oh, I don't know if I can go to any events. No. Why not? You need to show up. You need to meet new people. If you're self-employed, it's lonely. You've got to get out and meet people face-to-face and make great connections, get on a plane sometimes, drive an hour to a seminar. The contacts you make and the wisdom you get from going to new places are invaluable. So to me, as Kevin Robert would say, the late great founder of the National Speakers Association, another one, school is never out for the pro. Mm. Pros get this. Nice. I love it. a lot of what I call uh, rookies in training that need to keep being reminded you've got to keep working on your mind daily. And we have to be purposeful about it, day by day, minute by minute. I'm the most positive guy you'll probably ever meet, but I have the occasional negative thought slip through. Absolutely. And uh, I have to redirect. Culture, Tom. 
It's wired yeah. into our culture and our DNA to be negative. It's a default position. However, I think you can override, and I know you can override it, by a lot of techniques and books and seminars and affirmations and prayer combination. There's no silver bullet. And also, you know, calming your mind down and, and focusing inward with prayer and meditation. There's some other ways to get your mind back. Nice. Woohoo! I got lots of notes here. Uh, now, you've written three books. And you got number four coming in late summer. And just a little bragging here, I've been able to read it, and I loved it. And Thank you, sir. And I wrote a testimonial for it, and I'm going to buy one, even though you're going to give me one for free. So this one is cool. <laughs> I like these ones because it's not just Tony Rubluski's amazing ideas. It's Mind Capture Leadership Lessons from Ten Trailblazers Who Beat the Odds and Influence millions i love beating the odds and influencing millions is part of a good purpose as well so what's the genesis behind the book and and how is it different from your other three books which i also bought on amazon and have read them i bought them as kindle books well thank you my friend uh for supporting it and, and getting other books i i you're, you're a client of mine too so awesome mm, there you go uh the genesis of the book is simply this I've been very fortunate, like tonight you have the microphone on me. I turned the microphone for many years on other top leaders. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. I'll do a little name dropping here. Um, you know, in the book we talk about interviews I've done with, like, Jeffrey Gittimer. I alluded to him earlier. Uh, Dave Linegar, the founder of Remax. Yes, the Remax Worldwide Real Estate Network, uh, the, the powerhouse. We interviewed him. Sharon Lecter, you know, other names of people that I've interviewed, but I had to narrow it down. Uh, we interviewed Jay Abraham, they call him the marketing wizard. Um, John Stossel from Fox Television, the guy has an audience of 10 million TV viewers per week, uh, ranging to Dan Bilesma. You know, at this point, he's still the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the NHL. He won a Stanley Cup his rookie year. I captured him on the phone after he did it uh, within a month or two and said, well, how'd you do this? Uh, ranging to... W.M. Paul Young, who wrote a book called The Shack, a deeply mm. spiritual book. So you put those people together, there's a lot of millions and millions of books they've sold. They've spoken to millions of people. They're seen on TV by millions. I call them trailblazers because, as the subtitle indicates, they beat the odds and they've influenced millions. And the story behind the story, to me, to pull it out, to extract, to capture, is fascinating. And we reveal a lot of that in the new book. Wow, you interviewed the author of The Shack. I love that book. It was pretty, it was great it was pretty cool. And it was, to me, almost a, a miracle again. And that book's about spirituality and God. And I look at how the whole interview came to be. It was, there was too many strange things that occurred that I think, okay, this to me is another God wink from up above to get this one. <laughs> so, nice. uh, you know, it's just fascinating. I'm like a kid in the candy store when these interviews happen as well. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I feel that some ways, too. Uh, it is pretty cool. So what is the common element that many of the people share in the book that most people would be surprised about? Two big things that jump out, regardless of the, the, the interviews in the book, the ten trailblazers, is number one, they're human just like us. Yes. They have gone through painful periods of time. They've had massive celebrations and wins and victories. You know, they're at the top of the mountain, they've been knocked off the mountain. So they're, they're human. They're not superhuman. The second thing is it's a common thread. They're all persistent. And it's one of the, the traits of the late, great Napoleon Hill in his classic book, Think and Grow Rich, and all his writings from, you know, Laws of Success to that book to Outwitting the Devil. 
um, that Hill says all great ones have is massive persistence. And, you know, when I interviewed Seth Godin, the great marketing mind and business blogger, I was floored when he told me that, you know, he was struggling for five, six years, you know, and was really financially having a tough time and not, not making his way the way he thought he could. And I always thought Seth Godin, everything he touched turned to gold, Tom. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case. And, again, you know, you look at all these, these trailblazers, they, they faced a ton of rejection. And it makes me not feel better about myself, but it makes me realize I'm not alone on the journey, that it will not be handed to you easy. The red carpet will not always be laid out perfectly. But if you continue on and you persist and you adjust and you keep your mind positive and you do the right things and you keep hustling, good things are pretty much going to happen. Not exactly maybe when we schedule them to happen. I love goal setting. We have Brian Tracy in the book. Brian Tracy is one of the top goal setting experts on the planet. And I, you know, here's where Brian and I kind of, you know, I joke with Brian, and I, you know, maybe I disagree. It's great to set goals, but they don't always arrive exactly when we think they're going to. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, to interview like the caliber of a Brian Tracy or a Seth Godin or a Dave Linegar, the founder of the world's largest real estate company, Remax, I'm just like, thank goodness we're taping these things. So mm-hmm. we wanted to glean the wisdom, pull some highlights, some of my observations of why it's important, and, and share it with the world. Nice. I love the point about uh, successful people are human, just like everyone else. And I've interviewed some amazing people. I was even nervous to approach them. But once you become friends with these people, they are human. My dad has a saying I love. Everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. When he was referring to famous people. And he was a successful businessman himself and sales all his life. And it's like, oh, everyone just puts their pants on one leg at a time. However... Because of my disability, I don't. I have to put them on the ground and use a dressing stick to pull them up. So uh, mm-hmm. I am the exception. But, yeah, uh, successful people are just really, really generally very nice people. And they're probably the ones the most willing to share their time, their wisdom, their knowledge, uh, and to help other people. Uh, who has been your favorite guest interview and why? Uh, you alluded to... Your fan of his work, um, W.M. Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. Yeah. Um, and, and Tom, in respect to time, how much more do we have? Because I could go on and on about it. We're going to go on for as long as we need to go on, because nobody okay. stopped listening by now, because we right, got them to make in the sure palm of our hands. Some interviews are 30 minutes, some are 45, some are an hour. I want no, to be I'm okay. going until the knowledge runs out. All right, well, well, we'll try to keep her tight on, on somewhat schedule here. You know, I, I mentioned W.M. Paul Young, who wrote the classic The Shack where tragedy meets, you know, it confronts eternity. And the subtitle escapes me now, but The Shack is the main title. And I think why I was so amazed by his interview was how profoundly humble this man was and how spiritually deep he was. And I don't say that lightly. I love all my guests. The wisdom they give me, their time is just its irreplaceable. And thank God we're taping it when we get them on the phone. But what really struck me, is W.M. Paul Young is the type of guy that, even though he sold millions of books, become you know wrote one of the top 100 books in the last 100 years based on a lot of uh, book ratings, he never lost track of who he was. And deeply spiritual man, very you know grateful for his success, and actually really surprised by it all. Uh, before the book released, it was you know photocopied at Staples. Um, it kind of spread by word of mouth. They had a tough time getting financing for the book. It went viral, you know, a year and a half later, and then all of a sudden the, the book went crazy. The guy was working three, four jobs. Him and his wife were in a rebound situation as far as rebuilding. 
he had a lot of adversity and he came back but the book should have maybe almost never been written and he did it as a gift for his children and people got a hold of it and just went crazy so even he sits there and still scratches his head and in the interview which you know what's cool about the book and again i'm giving your audience a sneak peek the book doesn't come out till late summer so don't call tom or me you can't get it yet (laughs) (laughs) you know we'll give you some ways to stay in touch with tom and i after the interview but point being is we also include at the end of each chapter a link where they can hear the whole interview the entire interview they can go download it so we're going to give them some highlights and some you know recent you know ahas because some of the interviews are a few years old but i want them to be able to listen to the whole energy and and w and paul young was just loaded dripping with wisdom and just a deep sense of spiritual humbleness that i've never heard before and i don't know if i'll hear it again it was that that good wow wow and now, uh, kind of like a point to go with that, for instance, my, I, one person I really want to interview is Chris Gardner, The Pursuit of Happiness. That's on my list. I'm awesome. putting it out there. If anybody knows Chris Gardner, you better be letting him know. I'll be interviewing him soon. So who are some other folks that you would like to interview? Well, I'll answer that. Let me throw a quick kudo to you number one you ask and you set it out there and, and i commend you um i actually am in touch with chris's office so hold your hold your breath we might be able to make that happen my friend so we'll follow up <laughs> okay <laughs> um you know to answer your question who i like to interview there are many you know and again i don't rank anybody as far as that, that's you know they're better than another there's just some that probably stand out more than others okay i would like to get howard schultz from starbucks Mm. And, you know, it's all about the the three or four to five degrees of separation. Um, At some point we'll get him. I'm in the Northwest quite a bit, and there will be someone that maybe sees me speak that knows him. Who knows? Mm. Um, Another one on my hit list is George Lucas, you know, the Star Wars creator. um, Industrial Light and Magic, THX Digital Sound. I grew up as a kid in 77, and, you know, that guy was so far ahead of his time. To me, he's like our Walt Disney of the modern era. Okay, for those of us that are Gen X and baby boomers, the closest I think we have to Walt Disney as far as imagination and breakthroughs is George Lucas. So that will be a little bit of work. And um, I think another really, really kind of way out in left field one um, would be Oprah. And Oprah is hard to reach because she's still very much in demand. But um, never say never. And, you know, mm-hmm. when she's not traveling the globe, she's in Chicago, and I have a lot of contacts in Chicago. And you know, I think it might be a quick interview, but at least I had the chance to ask her a few really good questions. So those wow. would be the top three at this marker in time that I really want to get on my list in the next next five years. If I may be able to help you with the Oprah one because well, thank uh, you, sir. I appreciate there's that. one of there's she chose six people as ambassadors of hope. And uh, I interviewed, uh, or one of those six people wrote a book, and I interviewed the person who the book was about. And so I have contact with this person that Oprah has chosen as one of her six. Well, we will definitely be following up on each other's interviews. See, you just have to put it out there. Put (laughs) it out there, and it'll happen. So uh, now, PMA, Positive Mental Attitude, you know it's one of my favorite principles. I even have a tattoo, PMA, designed by the graphic designer for the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So tell people why is it such an important thing to focus on each day, each hour, each minute. I think to me, 
what immediately comes to mind is it's simply this time. You have a choice when you awaken each day. You can be negative or you can be positive. You can be grumpy or you can say, I'm going to make the best of the day. You can say, look, if something goes wrong this morning, I can respond and say, hey, there's a lot of time left. I can say, you know what, my whole day is shot now. Only you can make that determination. And we have off days, Tom. You know, the funniest thing is I, I tell audiences, look, even motivational speakers have bad days too. And a lot of people laugh, and, and some people go, hmm, I thought you're always positive. I do my best every day to be that, but it's not an accident. I deliberately have habits. I have different things I do each day, regardless if I'm traveling or if I'm with my kids, that to me have become ingrained to help ensure that I can be as positive as I can be. And know that when challenges come up or things I can't control or interruptions or if something goes wrong like a delayed flight or the agenda gets moved around, I don't sit in the corner pounding my feet, you know, sucking on my thumb, complaining like a third grader. It's to say, what's the lesson from this? You know, Tony Robbins, you mentioned earlier, is, you know, the power of your questions determines your destiny. He's not kidding. This is not like Tony made this up. It's essentially common known truths that you can influence the mind deliberately. And I think you must, as we talked about you know, earlier in the interview, Tom, it's more imperative than ever that you deliberately override the software of society overall and you reprogram it to your own channel called PMA. And Napoleon Hill talked about it in all his writings, Think and Grow Rich, Laws of Success, Outwitting the Devil, and there's a reason. It works. And we have a world that a lot of people are sort of drifting, as Hill would say. That's not negative. That's the reality. And those that can get locked into personal development and positive people and books and events have a much higher chance to have an overall happier life. Life is short. I'm amazed at 41 years of age. You know, my kids might hear this interview 10 years from now or 20 years from now, and hopefully it serves them uh, or someone listening. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. And this isn't being negative, but you and I, Tom, have met people in our lives like everybody else that thought they had another day. Oh, I'll get around to it someday. You know, when I retire, I'll take that trip to Hawaii. Or I'll go to that conference next year when I have more money. Or I'll buy that book when I can afford it. Really? What if, like, your plan a year from now, something major happens, you have a major setback or a life challenge, or you die, unfortunately, you know, to go to the worst scenario, you get really sick. Um, you're going to look back and go, hmm, I had banked on the future when I was literally spending today the wrong way. Mm. So, just a couple Now, let's shift gears, and we're going to talk about the big event that you're hosting. You put a gag order on me for a few weeks, and you <laughs> nearly killed me. People that know me know you don't tell me something that you don't want the world to know. And so this event is called the Ultimate Mastermind Summit. And give us some background. I know it. Tell us about it, why you created it, and why people are going to come out and be blown away, not only by the speakers, but by the people in the audience, is what I found last year. I made amazing friends from people in the audience. Well, Tom, thank you. Um, your enthusiasm is always contagious. And, you know, here's the deal. We did an event last year, the Think and Grow Rich Summit. We did it in California. We were very honored to have a great lineup, amazing attendees, and just everyone there was, was top-notch. Okay? We're all, you know, amazing people because we're all unique. And what we noticed was people were like, you need to do this every year. And it was one of my missions 
to continue to do a global event every year to make it bigger, better, and to serve more people. And what we realized is one of the biggest takeaways we got from California was people loved the ultimate mastermind session where we had groups of people at tables interact, exchange best practices, work on each other's businesses, not in them, and really come from a safe harbor position of trying to help each other, not compete. We had a demonstration on stage where we show people how to do it, and then they had time in the audience to circle up at their tables and do it. And people said to me, come up afterwards, I would pay you know, a lot more money just to do that all day. And I thought, okay, we're on to something. It's mm. also from the, you know, the late, great Napoleon Hill again, the book Think and Grow Rich, where he talks about the, the mastermind principle. And essentially where two minds are more gathered, you know, in the spirit of harmony, amazing things can happen. And again, it's not the exact definition right straight out of Think and Grow Rich, but the premise is simply this. Like minds attract great things if they're positive. So what we're saying is, look, let's do it again. We're bringing it to Chicago. We've only got a two-day event this year. We had three days in California, but we wanted to be respectful and listen to people say, look, two days is awesome. We want a good, compact event. We want great speakers. We want to be able to work with people, interact in an intimate setting. So the Ultimate Mastermind Summit will be this September 18th and 19th in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, we've already got people getting tickets, Tom. We've got sponsors on We've got a great promotional partner that we're going to be doing some fundraising with called Cal's All-Star Angel Foundation, who you know. I love Cal's All-Star um, Angels, and I love Tom Sutter. He's yep, amazing. So Tom and his team are real excited because they know a lot of people in Chicago that are going to be at the event and see great value. And, you know, if anything, um, this event is designed to get people of, of all levels and position a recharge. And not only that, to save them time and show some shortcuts that can help them be more productive, how to get a more better mindset, how to get their ideas implemented, how to get more sales, how to market more effectively, how to get more referrals. So it sounds like a lot, but I know based on last year's success, people are like, okay, wow, we want to be there, we're going to bring people. So, nice. um, and I let you know, your gag order was lifted, as you said, I'm <gasps> Uh, we're delighted to have you back. I couldn't get all the people back from last year. We had to bring some new people, and I wanted to to freshen up the lineup. But everyone was like, "You got to bring Tom Cunningham back." So it was tough. <laughs> and some of the speakers, Tom, that I can't get on the stage because of time and, and really, you know, duration issues, they're going to be leading some of the mastermind tables. So nice. you never know who's going to be sitting next to you. Tom was in my mastermind table last year. Tom Sutter and Cal's All-Star Angels. If you learn yep. of that story, that is learning from adversity and defeat in person. Yep. And April Ford was on the other side of me on this mastermind group. And I got as much out of those two as I got from the speakers. So it'll be yep. so cool. So what are they going to learn in Chicago Tell us some of the names of the key speakers and what are they going to learn. You spoke of one earlier, one of my favorite. I posted on Facebook today that Jim Palmer is the younger, hipper, less crotchety Dan Kennedy. And I think he's <laughs> going to be one of them as well, isn't he? I love it. I love it. You know, and I'll give this website a couple more times where people can actually go look at it. I encourage them to. It's ultimatemastermindsummit.com. Again, ultimatemastermindsummit.com. And if that's too hard, you know, I'll, I'll give you another angle to engage. Go to Facebook and type in either Mind Capture, those two words, Mind Capture, and like my page. You know, and if you dial in that way, there's information about the event and links over that direction too. But Jim Palmer for sure, you know, he's one of those guys that's going to really actually open up day one. 
was really well received and um, just very motivational, very solid person, you know, real strong business ethics. He's going to be there. We've also got a couple more names. Ben Gay the Third um, wrote a book series called The Closers, sold millions of books. Mm-hmm. I had him at a private event this year, and he mesmerized. People flew in just to watch him. Uh, he was sort of what we call the last man standing. He, No joke, Tom. Um, ran a company called Holiday Magic in the 70s, a big network marketing company. It was bigger than Amway and Shackley combined. He was a CEO at 27. Uh, he actually hired Zig Ziglar to work for him. They both got into the cookware business in 1965, the same recruiting meeting. Ben was in the room with Zig Ziglar. He beat him in a sales contest. He got CEO, and, and Zig Ziglar got the Rolls Royce. He was directly mentored by the late Napoleon Hill for two years before Hill died. Hill mentored Ben. Ben, wow. you know, worked with Earl Nightingale, Clem Stone. He hired the best in the world. He was mentored by the best. He teaches wow. sales at a high level I've very rarely seen on this planet, and we've got him. He's flying in from California. He's going to just level the place with his wisdom and his ability to teach people how to sell. He's, he's I have read that book. It's amazing. Yep. The so we've got the, the King of the Closer series coming in. Uh, we've got Bernie Dorman coming back, the founder and chairman of CEO Space. And his people are excited. And Bernie's got wisdom from his time with Napoleon Hill and also how he built up you know, CEO Space and the wisdom there and, and masterminding strategies. Uh, we've got some great new folks. Uh, one I'm really excited about, you know, especially all of you guys and gals, um, is Ann Convery. Ann Convery is um, out of California as well, L.A. area, and she teaches you know, how to you know, speak your business in 60 seconds or less. And we had her on a group call, and she mesmerized. And people were like, holy cow. Um, so we've got great, you know, different generational, male, female. We've got diversity. We've got people from Canada, such as UA. Uh, we've got just some real good fireworks. And uh, we've only got a couple slots left to fill the agenda out. So, again, I'm telling people, and they're already responding, like, look, we don't, we're not going to miss this event. And the way we've got tickets priced, Tom, when you go there um, as we record this, the tickets are frankly a steal, and they are going to bump up, and it's not a promoter hype thing. We're going to limit the event to 350 people. And, um, you know, I don't see with group sales going the way they are and sponsorships coming on that we'll have a problem getting to that number. And uh, with a lot of people from California saying, look, we are going to be there mm. for sure. Um, we're very, very excited for the event this year. Nice. And in the words of W. Clement Stone, do it now. <laughs> Buy the tickets now. Don't get distracted. Don't turn on some lousy, crappy television show. Don't go eat chips. Buy the tickets now. Go yeah, and, now. And, you know, as we record this in early June, another thing that, you know, I'll just be very candid, that we knew going into promoting event is you get in the summertime, I mean, people get distracted. I get it. Kids are out of school. They vacation. The weather's nice no matter where you're at in the world, particularly North America. It's nice is save the dates now and get the ticket. Because um, I've had people say, look, you know, I'm getting the ticket right now, but I'll figure out how I'm going to pay for the hotel and all that later. We'll budget it later. And it's not like we're saying, hey, it's going to cost you a lot of money. They're like, look, we're getting our tickets at the best price now. We're going to save the date so if this thing sells out, we don't miss out, and we don't pay two, three times as much if we, we delay getting tickets. And the fact we don't want to forget about it throughout you know, the lazy days of summer. We're, we're committed now. And, again, um, those that are committed and take fast action get the better ticket price. So it, it's, it's really a win-win across the board. 
And we've do just, it now. Do it now. Do it now. Just, Buy you know, it now. You're, you're one of my first interviews, so we're going to be doing teleseminars the next few weeks with our key speakers and along with you. And nice. when that happens, you know, those groups find out about it. They're going to be buying tickets. So, um, again, very excited to share this with you and your audience first, Tom. And uh, the new book, there's only been a couple of other interviews I've done yet to tip people off about that. But, you know, mm. get to this. You know, it comes down to a decision. Are you committed or are you kind of, it's a, ah, I'm kind of interested. And those that are committed, go to events. It could yes. be mine, it could be somebody else's, but the connections you make, the knowledge you get, the ah. first hour or two, you'll go, holy cow, it was worth it. And the price to get in the admission, it was really not that much, but we're very respectful that the time commitment of a couple of days is big, and that's why we want to make sure we get as much value uh, and diversity of speakers and great content where you, you kind of pick and choose. You go, holy cow, there was a lot there, but there was three or four I, I can walk away right now and use immediately in my business or for my organization. Nice. Well, we have to end this. Otherwise, we'll <laughs> go on all day, and we could go on all day. So Ultimate Mastermind Summit. Now, everyone should know how to find those three words, ultimatemastermindsummit.com. And you can find Tony Robleski on Facebook as well. His name is not always easy to spell, so Mind Capture is easier to look up than Robleski. So Mind Capture, just type it in. It's all over the place. Just put it in Google, put it in Facebook. Uh, Pretty well sure you're on LinkedIn as well. But get to your nearest search engine, put in Mind Capture, get to that website, and buy the tickets now. And I really want to see... A lot of people there in Chicago, I love meeting people in the audience. I learn more from them than sometimes from the speakers. So get out there. I look forward to seeing you. And thank you so much, Tony. Have yourself an amazing day. Mr. Cunningham, you are welcome. Thank you again. And we are delighted to see you and welcome you back to the main stage. So have a good evening and keep up the great work, my friend. Woohoo! See you soon. Take care. See you, Tom. Bye-bye.